The song of invitation will be number 943, Do You Know My Jesus? Good morning, church. This morning, scripture reading will come from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Again, it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And it reads, And seeing the multitude, multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, may the Lord bless the hearers, readers, and doers of thy word. Thank you. Good morning. We want you to know how much we appreciate you being here today. Thank you for your presence. It's a beautiful day. We're grateful for the opportunity to come together as a church family to worship God and to enjoy fellowship with people of like faith. And so thank you. If you're visiting with us, as always, we want to encourage you to come back. We are so thankful that you've chosen to come to honor us with your presence. And sign on the back says turn the mic on but it's on so good to go you know sometimes you can have technology and it's beneficial sometimes uh, it can make you look foolish and so but again thank you for being here we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 in our study this morning in our study this morning I want to begin by asking you what I believe to be is a very pertinent question. Are you genuinely happy in life? If I were to ask you to rate where you stand in terms of your happiness, what would you say? Would you rate a 10 that life is filled with happiness and joy? Would you say maybe an 8? Is it possible that you might say, my life is nowhere at a point of happiness? Just not happy at all. In our study today, we're going to be talking about the theme, are you genuinely happy? And I want to direct your attention again to Matthew chapter 5, and as we begin this lesson today, Again, I want to just ask you to think about this question. Are you genuinely happy in life? Are you happy when it comes to your home life, your marriage? What about your children? Are you happy with regard to the direction that they've taken in life? Are you happy at work? Are you happy at school? You know the word happiness, the root of that word is hap, and it means chance. So when we talk about happiness, and 
A lot of folks use that word, and many times they'll use it about any number of things. But the word happiness really carries with it the idea of that state of mind that is a result of chance, or we might say happenstance. The circumstances of life dictate our happiness. That's not the kind of happiness that I want to talk about today. But rather, I want to focus our minds on the kind of happiness that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 5. He uses the word blessed. That word carries with it the idea of joy that is unassailable. It's not dictated by the externals of life, the conditions and circumstances that we find ourselves in. But rather, it is this deep-seated joy that comes only with a relationship built upon the Lord. And so with that in mind, I want to look at Matthew chapter 5, and there are some things that I want to just share with you. And before we look at this particular lesson by way of body, I want to just ask another question. Does God want you to be happy in life? Peter said on one occasion, He that would see good days, talked about the good days, and the enjoyment that we derive therein. I am grateful for the blessings and favors that I enjoy in Christ and for all the abundant blessings that I have. So Peter talks about he that would love life and see good days. I love life, don't you? And I've been blessed to see a lot of good days, and I hope you have as well. But again, we're not talking about that kind of happiness. That being said, I want to begin by saying that the blessed or happy life is found by looking first and foremost inward. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus has gone up into the mountain. Some would place Him somewhere in the vicinity of Capernaum, which would be to the north of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is in this vicinity and He's teaching the multitudes. And you remember at the conclusion of chapter 7, Matthew said that the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. They recognized that there was something different about the teaching of Christ. In other words, His teaching was incomparable. He assumed a seated position, which was very typical in the days of Christ. The rabbis would often teach in a seated position, and the audience would stand. And so Jesus is speaking and setting forth some very important principles that relate to kingdom living. In other words, if we want to be one of His disciples, we've got to take to heart what He sets forth in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Because in many respects, this is the heart and soul of discipleship. So number one, the blessed or happy life is found by looking inward. First and foremost, we have to understand something about 
our spiritual poverty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean when he talks about the poor in spirit? You know, until we can see ourselves as we really are, we're never going to find the joy and the quote-unquote happiness that we're looking for. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have a distorted image of self. And there are a lot of people in our world today, it's all about smoke and mirrors. What you see is not really what you get. What Jesus is saying is that discipleship, discipleship is an imperative. And in order to become a follower of Him, you've got to understand something about where you stand in His presence. Now, you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether we like it or not, sin is a reality in this world. It is undeniable. Just look around. Not only is it undeniable, but it is a universal problem. It plagues our planet, doesn't it? Paul said, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. So sin is a problem. So to understand that as members of the human family, we have been broken by sin. Now, we didn't inherit our sin. No, John said that sin is a transgression of the law. It's a choice. We're not born sinners. Ezekiel said, the son shall not bear the iniquity of his father. The father shall not bear the iniquity of the son. But rather the soul that sins, it will surely die. So what about this impoverished view of self? To recognize that I need someone in my life that can rectify the wrongs of my life. Pride is a terrible thing. And pride can lead to the downfall of individuals. It can lead to the downfall of nations or kingdoms. Solomon said pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So to see ourselves as God sees us. Listen, we're the crown of His creation. We've been made in the image and the likeness of God. And yet, because of sin, we're broken. So number one, to recognize our spiritual poverty. Secondly, to seek pardon. Now listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are they that mourn. And the promise is, they shall be comforted. There are many, many people in our world today. They live with regret. There are many, many folks in our world today. They not only live in regret, but they die in that state. Regret over past actions, past sins. The guilt that they feel. The guilt that they have to bear on a regular basis. And yet through pardon that guilt can be released, can it? To understand that there is a way that we can enjoy the blessings, the happiness afforded only in one place, that's in Christ. Now, you know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they haven't seen the importance of Jesus in their life. And yet Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 
When we talk about the sin problem, the only remedy for sin that I know of is Jesus. He is the only way. He's the only one that can effectively treat our sin problem. So on Pentecost Day, when you look at the people assembled in Jerusalem, many of those people had been present at the death of Jesus. Some had taken part in His crucifixion. And when they were convicted of their sin, and again, that entails recognizing where we stand in the eyes of Almighty God, and the need for pardon from sin, Peter said, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to repent, number one. Number two, you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. When you do that, all of the sins that you have ever committed are banished, gone. The psalmist said in the long ago, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. To know that we never again have to face our past. Let me tell you what, that can be comforting. To know that our past is in the past and we don't bear it anymore. And God will never again bring it up. So number one, to recognize our spiritual poverty. Number two, to seek pardon. And listen, pardon is available to all. Sin is a universal problem. Pardon is extended to all of the human family. Listen to what Paul said, Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. Every single person on planet earth has the opportunity to enjoy the blessings of God and to be a recipient of the redemptive work of Christ. The Bible says it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. When you're in Christ Jesus, you have tapped into the grace of God and all the benefits and blessings thereof. But then there's a third thought here. First, again, recognize our spiritual poverty. Number two, seek pardon. Number three, to submit or to subjugate the inner person. The Bible talks about the outward man and the inward man. Jesus said it like this, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth, the word meekness. If you go back and you look at that word, really carried with it the idea of domesticating a wild animal, like a stallion. A stallion out in the wild, running loose and free. And what Jesus is saying is this. You want to be my disciple. Then you've got to learn to submit or to subjugate your will to my will. Over in chapter 7, verse 21, you remember what Jesus said? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's not about my will. It's not about what I want, what I think. But rather, it's simply deferring to Christ. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you said, in effect, Jesus will be my Lord. That means you are submitting to His Lordship. And He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Whatever He says, you want to submit to that. Now, you know, when you live in the world, you do as you please, don't you? You live in the world, you think as you please. 
Well, that's not the case when you become a child of God. You've got to alter your way of thinking, don't you? You remember what Paul said, Colossians 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're allowing the Word of God to temper your life. Think about times maybe in your lifetime when you've been so mad you could punch somebody in the face. You ever been there? You don't want to knock them out. Well, you know, as a child of God, there are a lot of things that maybe we did in the past that we don't do anymore. Well, why is that? Because we have said Jesus is going to be my Lord, our Lord. So, first and foremost, what the Lord's saying is genuine happiness, the blessed life. You want a blessed life? It begins by looking inward. Secondly, what the Lord will say is, the blessed or happy life looks outward. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, number one, there is the manifestation of mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When I stand before God on the final day, I don't want what's coming to me or what I deserve. Do you? I want mercy. You remember in Ephesians 2, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, as a child of God, do we not want to manifest mercy? to other people, to those maybe who have wronged us or hurt us. You remember in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said in the long ago, you've heard it's been said by them of old time, you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But Jesus said, but I say to you, and listen, he's inserting divine authority there. He's saying, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good or pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Somebody says, that's not normal. That's right, it's not. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to people that have come out of the world. And now they're in Christ, and he talks about that change of character, the putting off of that old man and the putting on of the new man. In other words, there's a different person on the inside. And so Paul said, here's what you need to do. Put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. And then he said, and all malice, and be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You want mercy? then you need to be willing to extend mercy. In James chapter 2 at verse 12, James said, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, you need to think about what you say and you need to think about what you're doing in life. Well, why? Because one day you're going to stand before the judge of all the earth and he's going to judge you by the law of liberty, that is, the perfect law of liberty. 
We call it the law of Christ. So he says in verse 13, Judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. Before you take a hard line stand against another person and chew them up and spit them out, you need to think about what Jesus is saying. Think about what James is saying. The Apostle Paul. Listen, Paul is saying we treat, we treat people differently. Why? Because we are a disciple of the Lord. We look at things differently because we've tried to take His teaching and make it a part of our life. And because we do that, things have changed dramatically. So number one, the manifestation of mercy. Number two, there must be a passion for peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Who are we following? Didn't Isaiah talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace? And didn't the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 14, talking about Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Do you have peace with God? If you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that you enjoy peace with God. You're at one with God. No, no division in your life between you and the Father, you and the Lord. But rather you enjoy peace with your Maker, with your Creator. He functions on our behalf as a mediator, intercessor, and advocate. He stands ready to defend our case before the Father, doesn't He? So with regard to this Prince of Peace, who is our peace, and by the way, Paul talks about that peace that passes all understanding. So what about us as children of God? Are we not trying to the best of our ability to promote peace in the hearts and lives of people in the world around us? We're blessed, aren't we? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You think about how God has blessed your life and how rich your life is in Christ Jesus. Don't you want to share what you enjoy with others? Don't you want to share with other people that internal joy, that inward happiness that you have because of, of Christ and what He's done on your behalf? Again, He's the Prince of Peace. And we're out here trying to advocate peace. And so not only are we advocating peace, but we're striving to maintain peace in the body of Christ and in the world in which we live. This world. You look at our country right now. We are so divided in this nation. Here's what Jesus said not long ago. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Let me tell you what, the devil's playbook, we have taken a page right out of his handbook. And we have seeds of discord being sown in this nation. And people are literally at one another's throats. 
That's a sad thing. And the devil is laughing and relishing every bit of it. We need some folks that have some sanity and sense to stand up and try to be a peacemaker and try to be a promoter of peace. And listen, the only kind of genuine peace that exists in this world is in Christ Jesus. That's it. You will never have peace in the world. And what Jesus is saying is the blessed or happy life, it's not in the world. That's where we misconstrue things. We have this idea, it's all about the amount of power that we possess or the popularity that we profess. It's all about the material possessions that we enjoy. It's about pleasure in life. Listen, all those things, all those things may bring us temporal gratification, but they're not lasting. And you go back and you read about Solomon, the wisest man who lived in his day. The Queen of the South came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She said the half hasn't been told. And Solomon enumerated all the things that he enjoyed on earth. And this guy had it all. And Solomon said, in light of all that he possessed, therefore I hated life. Tell me there aren't people in our world today that hate this life. They despise this world. Well, why is that? Because they're looking in all the wrong places for happiness or for a blessed life. And let me tell you what, you want to talk about a blessed life? The blessings of life are contained in this book right here. We call it the Bible. And there is a reason why we point people in the direction of Scripture. Paul said, all Scripture is inspired of God, now listen to him, and is profitable. You want to live a life of joy, deep-seated joy? It's found in this book right here. You will never find happiness separate and apart from Almighty God. I don't care how many Super Bowls you win. I don't care how many World Series you win. I don't care how many national championship rings you possess. I don't care how much money you have, how much land you own. You will never be happy outside the Lord, ever. Solomon said, here's the thrust of life. Fear God and keep His commandments. Why? Because this is man's all. That's it. There's no other way. So we're pointing people in the direction of the Prince of Peace. And we are trying to the best of our ability to be peacemakers in this world. There's a third thought. The blessed or happy life, the blessed or happy life is found by looking inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly. You want to be blessed and happy in this life, you need to look upward. Listen to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. First, He talks about hungering for the holy. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. And the promise is, they shall be filled. Is Sunday a highlight in your week? 
When you come together to be in the presence of God, did you know that we are in the presence of a holy God right now? We're not here alone. We're not just here together. We're here in the presence of God. And listen, when we understand something about the presence of God, the one of whom Isaiah said is high and lifted up, it's not about do we have to come, it's about we want to be here. We're here to glorify our Maker, to give Him the homage that He is rightfully due. That's the God we're talking about. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they are hungering for the world, yes, and all the things that accompany the world. I want you to think about something for a minute. When we get to heaven, when we are in the presence of God, are we going to be engaging in physical activities like here on planet Earth? You know, if you don't have a desire to come to worship and be in God's presence, and if you're not hungering and thirsting for spiritual things, why do you want to go to heaven? Why would you want to be there? If you're not comfortable in the presence of God's people, worshiping God, why would you want to be in heaven with Him? Why would you, why would you want to spend eternity worshiping and praising God? You don't enjoy it here. So why do you think you would enjoy it on the other side? We have to cultivate a hunger for the holy. The psalmist said in Psalm 42 many years ago, as the deer pants after the water brook. That deer has been running through the fields and forest and comes upon that water brook to satisfy his thirst. And the psalmist said, even so, even so my soul thirsts for God. Do you have that kind of thirst? Do you want to spend time with God in His Word? How much time do you spend in the week reading this book? How much time do you spend praying? Do you set aside time on a daily basis to read, to study, to pray, to meditate on the truth of God? Is it just built into your calendar that on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, you're, at pre you're present at the worship and Bible study? Is it built into your calendar that on Sunday night you're back again? Built into your calendar Wednesday night? It's not a matter of if I'm going. I'm going. And I appreciate those of you that look at life that way. But there's a hunger there. There's a thirst there. Here's what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then secondly, there is the pursuit of purity. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To live a pure and holy life. Paul said, Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Is that you? Do you have a desire to live a pure and holy life? 
Didn't Peter write in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we're to be holy because God is holy? One day we're going to see the Lord as He is. And John said, every man that has his hope set on him purifies himself even as he is pure. Can you imagine standing before the splendor and majesty of the God of heaven? Standing in the presence of deity? Jesus said to pure in heart, they will see God. There's a third thing, very quickly. And that is the promise to the persecuted. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Then listen to this. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. How is it that a child of God can find a sense of blessings or joy when persecuted? Again, think about that word happiness, the root of that word, chance. Happiness dictated by circumstances in life, the chances of life. And what Jesus is saying is the blessed, the happy life is rooted so deeply in the Lord that in spite of difficulties and trials and tribulations as one of His children, we still find joy. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You remember in Acts 16 when Paul and Silas were beaten, their feet were fastened in stocks, and they're placed in the inner chamber? And wasn't it Luke that said at midnight, what were they doing? They've had many stripes laid on their backs. Their feet are fastened in stocks. You think, they, you think they were hurting? You think anybody had taken the time to address their wounds? Were they hot, cold, tired, thirsty? The Bible says at midnight they prayed and sang praise to God. And again, I would remind all of us in Philippians chapter 4, and Paul is writing to saints in the first century, He's writing to them from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell. In chapter 1, he talks about being chained to a Roman guard. So here's Paul writing to saints in the first century, and here's what he said, Rejoice with them that rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Paul was blessed because he knew the Lord. And all I'm saying today is if you want a blessed life, a joyful life that no one on planet earth can rob you of. It's in Christ and only in Christ. So I close today by asking this question again. Are you genuinely happy in this life? Now look, only you can answer that question. Every day we get up and we look in the same mirror, don't we? And we see the same person staring back at us.
We know, and we alone in many cases, whether or not we are genuinely satisfied and happy in this life. But to take it a step further, not just about happiness, it's about the joy that no one can rob us from. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you build your life on my teaching, you will be, you will be a blessed person. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, and you've been searching for something, and maybe you don't know what you've been searching for, but you know whatever you have right now is not, is not it. And it might be the case that, quite frankly, you are saying to your, in your heart of hearts, I am not happy, I'm miserable, I am disgruntled, I'm discontent, I don't like my life. Can I point you in the direction of the one that can change everything? That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, what would you need to do? You've got to make Him the Lord of your life. And the only way to do that is by obeying the gospel. Again, you remember that word meekness, the subjugation of our will? The willingness to bend my will in deference to His will. So when Jesus said in the long ago, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, listen, I'm willing to do that because that's what the Lord said. The Lord said, except you repent, you'll perish. I'm willing to repent because that's what my Lord said to do. Are you willing to do that? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you faithful to His cause? Is it possible that you're here today and you're a child of God, but your life's not what it ought to be? And you know you need to make some things right. Listen, the good news is you can do that right now. We would be more than happy to pray with you, for you, and God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?